career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? Divorce is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. Kids are gone. Now what? I'll never find love. Why can't I be like the other guys? Hey guys, gay, straight, and everything in between. It's time to get a grip. Stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40 plus life. Let's get to the show with your Tell It Like It Is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick, unless you act like one first. Hey guys, it's time for another episode of 40 Plus Real Men, Real Talk, where we go into the real stuff that 40 year old guys and older get into, everything from infidelity to, oh my God, my penis isn't working, to I think I'm about to go through a divorce, or gosh, I hate my freaking job and I want to go do something completely different. And as you know, if you're a listener, we cover all the different bases, but one of those bases is, God, I'm apologizing about the life that I'm living. And if you're really struggling with that, I want to invite you, as I always do, to go to the unapologeticlifeassessment.com and do the little assessment I have out there on my website. Take a gander at it, flow through it, see what kind of answers you get there, and then maybe at some point you and I will have some other conversations. But enough about that. We've done the plug. It's time to really get in here. And we're going to talk today about, oh my God, my body's changing, and what do we do about this, and why is this happening to me? And I thought, no better person to kind of have this kind of conversation with than a friend of mine who we haven't touched base in ages, so if we go off derail a little bit, that's why. But um, his name is Elliot Cronenfield. He owns a beautiful therapeutic agency in the Boston area. He's been on my other podcast a couple of times, and we always have a good time when we get to dish and talk and share. And I trust him because he is a sex therapist to really like lay it on the line, talk truthfully to us about us guys, our bodies, and how we're changing. So Elliot, I'm really excited to have you here on the show, man. Glad to have you back, bro. Always great to talk to you, Rick. I always love coming on your show. And it's always interesting when we get to talk about stuff that you and I are both mutually interested in, both experiencing, because we're both in our 40s plus. And um, plus. I see this happening <laughs> all around that guys have, like, I think, you know, it's always like women have a hard time aging, is so we hear. But I think guys have a tougher time with oh my gosh, my body is changing and I don't know what to do with that. And so... You you know what's really interesting about it, Rick, is that we talk about women and body image a lot. And we talk about fashion magazines and the messages those give out and how society completely uh, materializes women. Truth is, we do the same to men. Um, I know that there is no magazine at the magazine rack looks like me yep um and when i go buy clothes i can't buy clothes off the rack because nothing fits me and i spend as much in tailoring as i do on clothes themselves and what that tells me is that society and the fashion industry doesn't value my body yep and doesn't think that my body is appropriate and so you know we get these messages over time um about what our body is supposed to be and how it's supposed to look and more importantly, how we're supposed to use it and how we're supposed to take care of it. Yep. And, you know, in our 20s and our 30s, you know, we kind of hit that really hard. When we get into our 40s, 50s and above, we really start noticing the, the gravitas of our previous decisions. It's really painful. Yep. You know, and I find it interesting that we're going into this space today because when I was at the gym earlier, 
and knowing that, you know, anytime I'm getting ready to do any of the podcasts, I'm like, okay, well, what can I observe? What can I, what am I seeing about guys in their forties? And today, as I was headed out to go to the hot tub, I noticed how many guys in the locker room in our age range, not so much the younger ones, but in our age range were actually like, obviously like almost overtly looking at other guys and now here we are talking about this, but my thought was, are guys looking at other guys, not because they're gay, I know that can be part of it, but are they like, oh my gosh, look at him, I'm his age, or, you know, it's this interesting thing where I thought, this actually happens more than men probably want to even admit to it, because there's the comparison thing. It's all about self-assessment, um, and I think that what becomes really challenging about this is that... The way we do such self-assessment changes over the decades, right? Yep. Um, you know, I always say that unlike women who have a very different progression through life, uh, first of all, because their bodies are far more complicated than ours, and they go through such significant changes, um, in our teens, um, we're all about affiliation, mm -hmm. riding with our crew. We want to, you know, just fit in. In our 20s, I call that the Superman decade. And that's when I can drive fast, drink more, fuck more, right. do all the things without any consequences, without any kind of limitation. And um, I hit it really hard. But when I hit my 30s, that's the decade where I start to get really serious and I start to think about, you know, I have to start being respectable and responsible. It's when I start a family. It's where I probably start thinking about more serious committed relationships. It's where I started thinking about what does my boss and my career look like. Right. In my 40s, is the, the decade when we first step into real leadership. Now, our 40s is when we start getting into that more substantial middle management, perhaps upper management. It's where our families are starting to get established enough where they're starting to stand on their own and being a little independent. We start really delving into um, that leadership role. And oftentimes that comes with the cost of our bodies. Mm -hmm. um, it's the time when most men really start to let their bodies go. Um, when we hit our 50s, which is really the time that we're most likely to have something like a midlife crisis, it's when we start to realize, oh my God, I just did my 30s and my 40s for 20 years giving it up to everybody else, to my job, to my partner, to my yep. kids, to my this. And all of a sudden it's the, what about me decade? And we kind of go a little crazy. And then we start hitting our body really hard again. Yep. And that's when we start to realize we want to go back and get recaptured youth. And um, we really want to try to turn back time to the best of our ability. When we hit our 60s, it's when we really start feeling full reins of power mm -hmm. it's when men tend to be the most effective in our 70s 80s and above this is when we're starting to think about legacy right and what i do when i talk to guys is figuring out where they are in this arc of their life mm -hmm. and reminding them that to be successful in any of these decades you have to bring your body along with you mm -hmm. And what is it that you need your body to do for you in each of those decades? And part of it is when we don't think enough about what we're going into, we use up our bodies in ways that um, can be really harmful and destructive.
Such good insight, man. I love the bringing your body along with you because <clears throat> it's not just your body. It's also your mental and emotional self along with you too. And, and you and I as gay men and having worked with many gay men, we've seen how, and I know this happens for a lot of men, but it's interesting when a, a man comes out of the closet later in life, suddenly that 20-something, that 30-something, that teen shows up, like really overtly shows up because there's this repression of who they were that never got to see the light of day. And suddenly there they are, but yet they're also trying to be this person in their 40s with leading and family life and all this sort of stuff, or maybe they're in their 50s and it's like, okay, this is, it's all about me. And people are always surprised, well, why do so many men come out in their 40s and 50s? And I love that you brought this forward because it is about that decade of, wait, what about me? It is the what about me decade. And I think that the other thing that really happens here is that we start thinking, what about me? And it's when we start to realize that it's the decade that our bodies are suffering the most. Yep. And so when we take our health and our bodies, at it's most critical. Mm-hmm. And it's where we really, it really starts to affect our self-esteem, our ego, um, our sense of viability, because all of a sudden when I can't play sports as hard as I did and recovery starts taking longer and my erections aren't as strong and powerful, they take harder to get or my ejaculation seems to be down. Right. Or all of a sudden, you know what, I would rather do something else rather than have sex and going to the gym feels painful. Yep. Right. But I used to be able to drink four beers and have no problem. Now I drink two and I have a hangover the next day. Right. Right. Because we're not paying attention to what our body is telling us. And it is really hard, I think, for men to realize that you don't have the same body as your 20s and 30s when you hit your 40s, 50s and beyond. Yep. I am. I am true testimony to this a week ago, not even quite a week ago yet. My husband and I volunteered to work a wine festival here on the central coast of California. And we were smart cookies. We're like, let's do the setup because if you work on the setup day, then you get the pass to enjoy the festival the next day. So we're like, cool, we'll go do setup. Both of us, 50s, I'm 56, he's 54. We show up and we're like, this can't be too bad. And they're like, great, we need you guys to set up that entire big tent over there. All those tables need to be set up. All those chairs need to be put around them, 10 chairs to a table. Um, can you put those plants up over there by the stage? And we're like, sure, right? No big deal. I haven't done that kind of labor in a long, long time. Now, did I do it? Of course I did it. Did I get it done? Of course. Did I feel the little aches and pains? Sure. But here's the interesting piece of this story. By Saturday, so that was on Friday, we get it all set up. Of course, Saturday morning, wake up a little stiff and all this sort of stuff. As we're walking through the festival, I'm noticing, and I'd had some sinus stuff going on, but I'm noticing it's kind of hard for me to swallow. And then I'm noticing even when I take, you know, a sip of wine or eat a little bit of the food that was there that I could get it down through my throat, but then it would kind of almost feel like it was lodged at the base of my chest. So basically right at the bottom of the esophagus, right starting into the intestines, right? I thought, mm -hmm. this is really weird that something is not right. But okay, you know, I'll get through the day. And of course, the more I drank, the more the whole body relaxed, right? So the next day we go out for the second part of the festival, which we didn't go 
a lot. We just went to about three wineries and it wasn't like being at the festival itself because there was 20. So we're, well, we're driving between and all this sort of stuff. But I noticed again that day, I'm still having this stuff going on. I'm telling my husband, you know, hey, I'm, I wonder what's, you know, something might be wrong. And of course he started asking, well, are you getting tightness in your chest? All this sort of stuff because we're a little more prone to watching me because I had a stroke a few months ago. And the next morning, I still wasn't feeling right. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go to urgent care. And I was really lucky because I got one of these docs who's like a no bullshit sort of guy. He's like, okay, we're doing this, we're doing this. We're doing, and he's asking me like question after question after question, like boom, boom, boom. He's an older guy, ponytail, like a hippie kind of doctor. And he's like, I'm an ER doctor, all this sort of stuff. And he asked me all these questions. And so when he gets done, he goes, okay, so first of all, you're not having a heart attack. Second of all, I don't think this has anything to do with your lungs because if I heard something, and so he's telling me everything it's not. He goes, here's what I'm going to tell you. And I told him I'd been on a keto diet. Like we've been really doing keto and all this sort of stuff. He goes, so here you go. You go Friday and you do all this physical labor that you're not using, used to doing. On Saturday, you gave yourself a break to eat some rich foods that you weren't normally eating for the last two months. And he goes, mm -hmm. I know this is going to sound really crazy, Rick, but your physical body got pushed to an exertion level where the muscles were stretched and all this sort of stuff. So they're contracting and they're tightening. Well, as those muscles are contracting and tightening, coupled with you're putting some food into your system and your system's going, wait, I don't like this. This isn't what I'm used to. Those two things were actually interacting. He goes, this is going to sound crazy. I want you to go home and I want you to take some Pepsid <laughs> and I want you to lay down and rest for the rest of the day and, and just do the Pepsid for twice a day Literally, now here we are two days later. I haven't had that symptom since I was there. And it's this validation of what you and I are talking about. Our bodies, we, I took my body to that event as if I was a 30-year-old. Yeah. I ate yeah. as if I was a 20-year-old. And I right. saw the outcome as the 50-year-old man that I am. Well, you know, it's interesting. I have an 18-year-old son who is a freshman in college. And he is an elite athlete. Um, and, you know, to, to compare our lives, and, you know, we, we talk every day, my son and I are very, very close, and, you know, the way that he uses and abuses his body since, you know, he entered high school, and I say to him all the time, I'm like, I am telling you mm -hmm. that you are sustaining injury that will come back to you when you're 50, and he doesn't believe me. Right. Um, because as far as he knows, he's 18, he's young, he's healthy, he's vital. Like, there's nothing I can't do. And, you know, he's headed into this 20th Superman decade. And we've had to have a lot of conversations about what it's like to age. And I think that part of the reason why I do this with my son is because who talks to us about our bodies? Mm -hmm. People don't talk to men about bodies. People don't talk to men about aging. Mm -hmm. It is secret conversation it's like a secret club that we're supposed to just know the keys to but nobody tells us how to get in and one of the things that i think is really challenging is that whether you're gay or straight or anywhere in between is that just like i believe women's health yep. is family health mm -hmm. men's health is family health too yep. the only difference is, is that women have been insightful enough to start the women's health movement, you know, 55 years ago when we had the second wave sexual revolution 
in the 1970s. Now, granted, they've been under attack in so many really awful, painful ways, but we haven't even started talking about men's health in any substantive way. Now we get these, you know, relatively new movements like No Shave Movember trying to bring attention to men's health and men's bodies, but it is too little, it is too late, and it is not gaining enough insight. Right. Nobody is talking to men about their bodies. Doctors don't talk to patients about their bodies. And one of the things that I do as a sex therapist is I spend a significant amount of time saying, let's just get to know your body before we talk about what you're going to do with it. Right. And you'd be surprised at how many men don't even know the names of their own body parts. Yep. And it's interesting that this is what men, one of the things men need to most do, like being vulnerable, like being empathetic, like being confident without being cocky, all these things, yet we go and we worry about, okay, I got to look like a man. I got to be a warrior. I got to be the slayer. I got to be the da, da, da. And yet all those things are actually causing damage and in, in making it incapable for ourselves to do the things we most need to do until we, that light bulb goes off that if I was vulnerable, if I was compassionate, if I was empathetic, if I was allowing myself to go, I don't know. I don't know, but I need help. Suddenly, when those things start to happen, we can begin to move forward and we can begin to take care of ourselves and we can take care of our body. There was a guy I had a conversation with a few weeks ago on the same podcast and we talked about erectile dysfunction. And he's actually a leading urologist and he talks about this very plainly in his book about most of the erectile dysfunction issues have nothing to do with the physical medical stuff. It's all up here in the head. It's that simple. You know, and it's one of the more predominant uh, issues that I work with here in my clinic is when we talk about erectile dysfunction, either I can't get an erection or I lose my erection or I can't ejaculate, I have anxiety about it. But, you know, part of this, one of the first questions I ask men is, who taught you about manhood? Yep. What messages did you get? And which of those messages do you want to keep? And which of those messages do you want to get rid of? Because you get to craft your own definition of manhood. And, you know, I sit across from these guys. I'm like, listen, you and I are two very different men for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Your definition of manhood and my definition of manhood are not the same. Yep. Nor are they supposed to be. So what is yours? But nobody's been given that permission to do it. That's part of the problem. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say, right? This is the first time for a lot of these guys that somebody has presented them with an option yes. of defining for themselves yes. what manhood is and what their own relationship with their body is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I always, do, I always think of it as like, this is basic math, right? I'm like, okay, you're 50 years old. You could live to 97. I mean, you have 47 more years of life. What is it that you need your body to do for the next 47 years? You need to be able to walk. You need to be able to eat. You need to be able to digest. You need to be able to function. You need to be able to defecate and urinate. You need to be able to have sex. You need to be able to get on the floor. You need to be able to play with your grandkids. You need to be able to drive your car. You need to be able to earn an income. You need to be able to be in nature. What are all the things you need your body to do? And what are you doing now to make sure that your body gets to the end with you? 
because too many men use their body by the time they're 50 and for the next 47 years they're dragging that sorry carcass along with them. and and we know this because we see it when men retire and they don't have anything quote to do they if they don't go do other things they die literally they start they to die. die even faster and it's <laughs> you know my dad is i don't know 74 75 something like that and he has lost a tremendous amount of body mass, but he still does stuff that I just, I shake my head and go, and I'm sorry, at 70 some years old, I would not be doing that, but it's because of who he is. He was in construction. So he does this crazy shit around the house. I'm like, I know I'm, I, God willing, I'm going to be hiring somebody to do that, but I will be doing other stuff. I will be going out for hikes. I will be going out for bike rides. I will be doing some of that stuff but it's all relative to what you've been doing. And I find so many men, they're like putting it all in right now. Let's do it all now. But yet what you're not doing is as you just said so beautifully and eloquently, Elliot is you're not planning for that future. And especially, especially in this day and age where guess what guys, you hear it, you hear it, you hear it. We are living longer. And if you're not prepared to live longer, you will live shorter. And I don't think any of us want to do that. But I think about this all the time. And I'm going to go back to my own personal experience with having the stroke this year. And it didn't, it wasn't anything that I'm horribly, horribly concerned about because of the kind of stroke it was. But it definitely got me thinking, what do I want to do and be able to do in the next 30 years? I anticipate, given my family history, that I will probably live at least another 30 years, if not longer. And given the fact that I have been a pretty active guy and continue to be active, there's a high probability that I will do, make that goal and live longer. But if we don't focus on this, if we don't look at ourselves, and it's not just about going to the freaking gym, guys, <laughs> that's good. Getting the physical is good. But the mental emotional has to go along with it. And I know as men, we get beat up a whole lot, but you don't have to get beat up. I tell my son all the time when, he, he, when my son gets really frustrated and he's asking me like, why things aren't working out for him. And I'd say to him, Michael, the word I'm going to give you that I want you to take with you as sacred into your future is the word balance. I want you to balance your body with your mind with your heart, with your spirit. And when you can balance all of those quadrants together and you can get them all in sync, you are centered, you are grounded, you are productive, you are at your best. Absolutely. If you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not eating healthy food, if you are not going to the doctors, if you're not taking care of your mental health, if you are not um, staying uh, appropriately active, mm -hmm you are not able to process a feeling, if you are not able to function sexually in a way that is gratifying for you, you are not living. And what a beautiful thing to hand your child, male or female, but especially men, because these are not things, as you said, Elliot, these are not things that anybody talks to us guys about. We go to, we're lucky if we go to a sex ed class the, at this, in this day and age, and we learn anything other than, okay, that's a penis, that's a vagina. Make sure you wrap it up and make sure she's on birth control. There you go. There's your sex education. And I think it's imperative that we have these kind of conversations with the younger generation because right. they don't, 
I know I didn't get it. I didn't get it when I was that age and I got it different ways as we all do. But, you know, I, I guess again, because of the work you and I do, when I get a younger guy that works with me, I'm like, so who talked to you about what that, what that's going to feel like to have sex, let alone sex with a man who taught to you what it's going to be like to try to be in an emotional relationship with a person. And all I always get is nobody, of course. So this is why these things are so important and why I feel like so many men, if they could give themselves permission to do the V word, and I'm not talking the vagina, to be vulnerable, if they could learn to be empathetic, they could learn to say, I need help, they will find that even a good night's sleep will probably begin to happen more frequently because they open themselves up to these things. Yeah, the way I always phrase it is if you can't show up for yourself, you, nobody else is going to show up for you. Okay. you show up for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That, I think that's a great place to bring this full circle because Elliot has once again said the perfect thing that needs to be said. And I'm so glad we got to reconnect, man. And everything will be on the website to connect with Elliot. He's in the Boston area. He's one of the most well-known sex therapists in the country. I love it that he's continuing to do the work. Love it that you're having success with your kids and college and all that sort of stuff. It's quite the ride when you hit those strides. I remember almost eight, nine years ago now, or yeah, seven years ago when my first one went off to college and now graduated and the second one's in college. It's, it's, it's part of dad learning to go, okay, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I need some help. Yeah. Here, you know, but um, great having you here, man. And I'm so excited. We had the chance for you to share this wisdom. There's so much good stuff in here, guys. That I just share. Thanks again, Rick. It's always great to talk to you. That's a wrap for 40 Plus. Real men, real talk. Where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves, and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 Plus Real Men, Real Talk, where the conversations continue.